Like Ruth said, um, if you don't know me, I'm Anna Nunn. I'm a member as well as a staff member here at University Baptist Church. I coordinate women's counseling, and it's the second favorite thing that I do. First is being a mom to my seven-month-old daughter, Nora. I know a lot of you have seen her around the church. Um, yeah, I'm so glad to be gathering with you all today and to speak a little bit about what a glorious gift that we've been given in the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, but be patient with me because I just told you that my job is to talk with one person at a time. So um, I'm going to pray for our time. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you for every woman that you've brought to this room today. You know everyone by name. Please give us receptive hearts to the truth of your gospel. Thank you for the hope that we have in your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so to start our time together, there are some things that I feel would be helpful to acknowledge as I begin, because without acknowledging these truths, anything that I have to say could be really easily dismissed. I'm going to acknowledge that there is a God. He created us in his image, that he gave us his word, the Bible, which is without error, and he sent his son to save us. And the saving part is where I want to spend some time today. So as Aaron read before, Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this verse should be the best news that we could ever receive, but only if we know who it is that's sending us their son and why. And as I said before, the Bible tells us that there is a God who created us in his image and that this God is holy, meaning that he's perfect. He loves righteousness and he hates evil. But scripture also tells us that we turned away from a relationship with this holy God and made our lives about seeking our own interests by completely ignoring him or his rule in our life as the one who created us, or what scripture calls sin. And our sin doesn't just separate us from God, it also angers him. And the idea of God's anger can be a little confusing, so I want to step back and look at a passage of scripture that can help us understand it. Just four chapters earlier in the book of Isaiah, the verse that I just read from, um, the prophet Isaiah helps us to get a better picture of this just and righteous anger by giving an illustration. So I'm going to read to you the first seven verses of Isaiah 5. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones. He planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? I want to pause here, just halfway through, and think about that. All of that hard work and time spent only to have a spoiled crop. And I think it's worth noting, too, that it can take three full years of vineyard to produce grapes that can actually produce wine. So a first grape harvest. So that's manual labor, years of waiting, watching, protecting, doing everything for this vineyard, all for it to produce worthless grapes. So anger makes sense here, right? So I'm going to finish out what Isaiah has to say. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it, 
For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he has looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So the result of this spoiled crop was for the vineyard owner to completely destroy the vineyard that he had so perfectly, carefully created. So I'm sure you can see by now that this analogy that God gives of his relationship with Israel is also an analogy for God's relationship with all of us. God has tended to us and provided for us in every way perfectly. And yet, because of our sin, we have earned his just anger and resulting wrath and judgment. He has given us life. And in turn, we've rejected him and chosen our own sinful desires. And if we don't understand that, we cannot possibly understand why we are in need of saving. But though God was angry with us, and this is the difference, is that he loved us. And that's why, unto us, a child is born. Why Isaiah 9-6 is such good news to us. Because this God sent his son to make a way for us to escape this judgment that we so righteously deserve, or rightly deserve. He did not send a son to the world first to judge and punish the world. Instead, he sent his son as a sacrifice to bring peace between he and us. But how did he bring this peace once he was born to us? So that precious baby that we see in the nativity scenes at Christmas time, he grew up to be a man who willingly died a horrific death for our sin, a horrible death for sins which have earned us death into an eternity apart from God, no peace from God. But his death paid that penalty for us. He is the Prince of Peace. If Advent is defined, as Aaron said earlier, as waiting for the arrival of a notable person, the Christmas season is celebrating the advent of the birth of Christ, our Savior, the Son of God. He came to be the Prince of Peace, that he might bring peace to the world, but also peace between us and God. Because of our sin, we do not have peace with God. But because of Christ being born to us, living on earth as a man, and then dying in our place, we now have the opportunity to have peace with God. And not only did Christ come to live on earth as a man, but he lived perfectly in a way that we are incapable of because of our sin. It couldn't have just been anybody that died for our sin. This was God himself made man who came to earth to die for our sins. He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. So when he died, he died in perfection, which is why God accepted his substitution on your behalf. Christ is different than any other person who has ever lived. And yet, we are still in a season of Advent even today, as Aaron mentioned earlier, because right now we're waiting for the return of Christ. Once he died, he did not stay dead. God raised him back to life, proving that his sacrifice was accepted for us. So now, as we wait for the return of this notable person, Jesus Christ, we must be prepared for him. So just as I waited in joyful anticipation for the birth of my daughter, preparing for her, readying myself, some of you saw the chaos that was me setting up a nursery, bless you all, um, there are implications for our lives today knowing that we are waiting for the Prince of Peace to return. And so this is where the second part of Isaiah 9-6 comes into play, and the government shall be on his shoulder. When Jesus returns, the earth will be his to rule. He will be the king and judge. He came first as a baby, born in a manger, living life on earth to save anyone who would trust in him as their savior. But he's coming again. And so when he returns, he will bring home those who have turned from their sin and confessed that he is Lord and savior. 
And so when I say bring home, I mean that when Christ returns, he will bring everyone that has trusted in him, with him, into this kingdom that will last forever. There we'll live forever and enjoy an eternal relationship with the true king of the world. But all of those who refuse to trust and follow him, he will judge and punish upon his return. So, knowing this, how do we prepare for the return of Christ the King? First and foremost, and most importantly, by turning from our sin and believing in him for forgiveness. The only thing God requires from us to be forgiven is to trust his son. What can be more important to prepare for Christ's return than to be sure that you are right with God? So then, when we're at peace with God, preparation looks like living lives that honor his sacrifice, seeking to know him and to become like him by obeying his word that he's given us, which is how we learn to love what he loves and hate what he hates. In the Bible, God's word tells us to gather with his people to help prepare each other for our biggest hope, eternal life with him when he returns for us. So... If you are here this afternoon and you have not turned from your sin and believed in Christ, consider what God has done. God could have judged you and me when Christ first came. But because of his love for us, he gave up his son so that all who believe in him can be forgiven and saved to eternal life. Will you trust in him today? Let's pray. God, you are good. Thank you for making a way for us to be reunited with you, for sending your son as a ransom for many. Let the truth of your gospel soften the hearts of every woman in this room. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.